Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, July 29th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 1 through chapter 45, verse 5. The remnant of Judah has fled to Egypt, but they have not escaped the word of the Lord. Jeremiah preaches faithfully to the people concerning their ongoing idolatry and their rebellion against the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, Tim. It's good to be on. So we're looking at Jeremiah 44 and 45, a long section of text, and the conclusion of this long section about the aftermath of the fall of Jerusalem. And then 45, as we'll see, is a a bit of an appendix to this section. As you think about the the context and what leads up to this, how the people got to be where they are there in Egypt, and Jeremiah is going to preach the way he does today, what do we need to know going into that this chapter? So you have to go back to kind of chapters 42 through the beginning of 43 if you want to get a little bit more information. Basically, what's happening is uh, Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch have have been forced to go with this contingent to Egypt. And so you wonder why why are they going to Egypt after Jerusalem has been conquered, the temple and destroyed. Basically, what happens is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had installed um, a governor in Judah named Gedaliah uh, to kind of rule over the remnant of Judah that was still there. So the people of Israel are wondering, what do we do? Uh, do we get out of here? Do we stay here? So they say, Jeremiah, go ask God what to do. So Jeremiah asks God, and he says, stay here. Don't fear the Babylonians, even though they've just completely destroyed all kinds of stuff. Um, Don't be afraid. Just remain here and be faithful. But uh, Israel and the people of Judah didn't like that. So a faction of these people go and murder Gedaliah, the governor, and then kind of in uh, pushback to Jeremiah's exhortation to stay in Jerusalem in that surrounding area, they say, well, we just murdered Nebuchadnezzar's governor. We're going to skip town because we think Egypt can help us. We think we'll be safer there. Uh, So leading up to this, that's probably the most important textual context to have in mind. Chapter 44 is a heavy condemnation of not just the idolatry that Judah has been practicing that's really gotten them to this whole point of uh, destruction and then eventually exile, but also they're they're just disregarding God's word uh, as they have, as we'll see in the itself that just all before this it, it didn't really matter what jeremiah said uh or, or you know him standing as god's direction if they didn't like it they didn't do it and that's that's where they find themselves in this reading today is in egypt instead of in judah because they didn't trust god right and the word of god through jeremiah 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it's over and over again. The people have rejected the word of the Lord that Jeremiah has been preaching. He's not surprised by this, but he is suffering at their hands because of it. And, And now he does continue this preaching there in Egypt to the people who have rebelled against the Lord. We've got a lengthy piece of text before us today. So we're going to get started right at the beginning. Jeremiah chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Toponese, at Memphis, and in the land of Pothros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them, because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger. In that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt, they shall fall by the sword and by famine, they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem, with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except some fugitives." All right, that's Jeremiah's opening preaching to the people of Judah living now in Egypt. That's verses 1 through 14 of the chapter. They're going to respond in the next section. Pastor Heckman, there's there's so much there that we can talk about. I mean, just tons of little phrases that are that are intriguing. You have the people of Judah, they've set their faces to come to Egypt, so it says the Lord sets his face against them. I mean, there's there's lots of turns of phrases that we could, we could talk about at length. But as you think about the entirety of, of what Jeremiah is laying before them, how would, you, how would you summarize his preaching here against the people? The phrase that really, I think, sums up, I mean, there, like you said, there's all kinds of phrases that Jeremiah uses to indict the people here. But the phrase I think that sums it up fairly well is in, if you go to verse 9, have you forgotten the evil of your 
fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, um, and maybe just that to condense it, have you forgotten? Uh, so it's the sin of spiritual forgetfulness, uh, spiritual absent-mindedness, maybe you'd call it. But uh, you look at the history of Israel and you wonder how easily they forgot where the place from which they came and the kind of the results and the consequences of their past actions. You think that would inform them of, you know, here's how things ought to go. But, you know, go back to Numbers 13. They're wandering uh, or they're not quite wandering yet in the wilderness, but the spies come back. They give them the favorable report from Caleb and Joshua, but they don't trust God. So they wander 40 years. So they, again, rejecting God's word there didn't go well. Numbers 20, uh, wilderness at Meribah, uh, the Israel minus Joshua and Caleb are barred from entering the promised land because they put God to the test there, saying, we don't have any water, uh, we don't trust you to give us water, so make Moses do something. And then, of course, Second Kings 17, you, you look at the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, they fell to Assyria 721 B.C. for the same reason Judah has just fallen here uh, in 587 B.C. for the same basically the same idolatry uh, leading to the deportations and captivity of the Northern Kingdom. So you have all these things in their past where Jeremiah is accusing them and asking this question. It's almost more of a rhetorical question. Have you forgotten what, you know, your, the kings of the past who pushed the nations into idolatry have done? Uh, Have you ignored everything the prophets in the past have said just look at your history. And I think there's there's a really uh, biting irony here that they're in Egypt now, right? And, and this is the place from which God had delivered them hundreds of years earlier from idolatrous people, from, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians who put them into slavery. Now, you know, fast forward, what, five, six hundred years now, however long it was, and they're right back to where they started in Egypt. And they're the ones offering idols. So it's just a, you can really see why Jeremiah has such a hard time preaching it. I mean, probably a lot of anger and, and frustration, but also heartbreak that the people, I mean, you hear in the Psalms, remember the wondrous deeds of the Lord. You're always being encouraged to remember that. And we can see why that's so important, because when you forget, you lead to circumstances in which, you know, you're, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you're practicing kind of a pragmatic utilitarian religion that if this works, if this makes us happy, this is the way we're going to go rather than uh, being faithful to the word of God. And I even, when I was reading through this, I thought of uh, there's a parable of the tenants in Matthew 21, where you look at Jeremiah accusing them, you know, you, um, God sent, I think it was the language, persistently uh, sent prophet after prophet. Um, yeah, verse four, I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, don't do this abomination that I hate, which makes you think the parable of the tenants, what happens, the master sends servants after servant to gather fruit, which could be seen as, you know, prophet after prophet. And then he sends his son, which is Jesus, uh, and there's rejection. Um, but the good news here is, you know, the... The punishment for Israel, the punishment for Judah isn't final because, of course, we see um, the Son of God was killed but then raised from the dead. And uh, the eventual deliverance of this remnant of Judah that Jeremiah is talking about, that's going to happen, not not for a while, but um, 
you can kind of see, uh, you can, you can understand kind of the anger on the part of Jeremiah here and the, the law that he's bringing to them. They need to hear it because they have been violating the law of the Lord. They have feared, loved, and trusted in, uh, it seems like almost everything but God up to this point. Um, and I, but th- I think that phrase, the have, have you forgotten, is really probably the most pointed and concise way to sum this up. They've forgotten or maybe just chosen to ignore might even be a better way to put it. But they've just let the past just completely go aside and, and said, we're going to do what's right in front of us and ignore God. So. Sure. And I think, I mean, to couple along with that, have you forgotten, you know, and, and you cited several cases from from their history many years before. Jeremiah even brings up what they've just seen in verse two. You know, he he tells mm-hmm. them, you've seen the disaster. And then later in that same verse, you get the word behold. You know, I mean, it's like, take a look. Remember what your own eyes saw. And and apparently, as you, as you said, they saw it and they they didn't pay it any mind. They They completely failed to grasp what the Lord intended to give them, even through that, you know, the alien work of his of bringing this disaster. And and so Jeremiah, mm-hmm. you know, he, he preaches much like he has preached throughout. And I, I think, you know, I, I do think you see a bit more frustration is probably not strong enough a word, but he's Jeremiah is is definitely just putting it out there very clearly and plainly here in in some ways more so than than what he's done in the past. In terms of what well, what do we do with that today? Because I mean, you know, well, this is those people. Then they mm-hmm. did that. I can't believe they would do that. I would never do that, right, Pastor Heckman? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I I tend to think this story could be illustrative of us. Not not exactly, but um, I I I've kind of thought when I was writing the notes for this. You know, God sends. Uh, pastor after pastor, family member, friend, one after the other, teacher after teacher, and they're put in our lives to bring us the word of the Lord um, in in very similar fashion to the way Jeremiah brings it. And we have the same sort of pride and even idolatry uh, that Judah was experiencing, where we aren't necessarily uh, worshiping idols of wood and stone, but what is, how does Luther define an idol, any, you know, anything we fear, love, and trust more than God. And I'm sure we could think of many things that, you know, what, what am I more afraid of losing than my faith? What am I, what do I love and give so much time to that God does, you know, gets the scraps or nothing. Um, and so it's, it's really in some ways our story too. If you look at, um, we have, we are sinners just like Judah. We are, you know, it's, it's not, oh, this was uh, however, you know, 2,600 years ago, we were enlightened now. It's, no, we're the same sin, sinful human beings who need the word just as much as they did. And we run the same um, detrimental risks at, at rejecting God's word, his law and gospel. It's at our peril, really. Um, so very teachable moment for us, too. Where uh, listen to the prophets, you know the the pastors that God puts in your life, or the the people that bring you God's word and your correction. Um, and it's all it almost always is a harder thing to listen to God's word um, than it is to reject it at first, almost always. But I I kind of have this perspective sometimes where I say the present difficulty uh, almost always leads to future um, ease or blessings or whatever you want to call it. Um, So if you do the easy thing at first and you reject God's word, that's going to come back to bite you. But if you take that correction and Proverbs talks all, you know, all 
at length about, you know, heed a wise correction. Um, that's going to result in, you know, fruits of um, patience, wisdom, godliness, that the Spirit will work through that. And it's difficult, as we can see here. I like to think, oh, if I were there, of course I would have listened to Jeremiah. But that, you know, I don't know if I would have. Right. <laughs> so it's, yeah, don't don't put yourself above Judas. Say, oh, it, it, kind of like the parable of the, um, oh, is it the tax collector and the, yeah. the um Pharisee that go up, you know, thank goodness I'm not like him. The tax collector is just like, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's yeah, that's an excellent point to bring up that, that that parable does provide a way for us to look at this so that we don't become that Pharisee and say, oh, thank goodness I'm not like the people of Judah who fled to Egypt against the prophet's word. Rather, to look at this, to see my own sinful self here and to to confess with the tax collector, as you said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, mm-hmm. that's not what the people of Judah do at this point. And so we do get we get the response in, in verses 15 and following. So I'll keep reading. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, make offerings to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, when we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? That takes us through verse 19 of the text. The the people here respond. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say this, at least they're brutally honest. They're, they're not trying to hide anything, uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to listen to. You, you have them in basically utter rebellion against the Lord's mm-hmm. word that Jeremiah speaks. Take us into to the, these words from the people. So the, First thing I think we need to deal with is in verse 16, as that phrase, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, they even acknowledge in the name of the Lord, these is representative, we will not listen to you. So this, if, if any of you listening or parents out there, or if you've seen small children, um, we've got a, a little boy, a little two-year-old Jacob, uh, and he's, again, he's a really good kid, but sometimes what he does makes me think of the way Israel is here. You know, we we're talking to him and sometimes he just sticks his fingers in his ears and um, doesn't want to listen to what we have to say. And he has no issues just shutting out things that he doesn't want to hear, but you, he's a two year old, right? You kind of give him a little bit of a free pass. If you don't condone it, but he's like, okay, he's two. I can be a little more patient, but you see here, um, Jeremiah is essentially coming to them. Here's what God has to say. Here's the word of the Lord. This isn't my word. This is the, you know, the testimony of, of the Lord to you through me. And the, the Israelites kind of just plugged their ears, essentially. You know, I don't I don't want to hear it. Uh, they had disobeyed the other prophets um, due to their unfavorable message. And Jeremiah is, uh, is, it's no different with him. And I think the heart of the matter here is, at least in this, this first portion especially, is, um, 
what way do we react as God's people when we're told something we don't want to hear? And by what we don't want to hear, it's almost always the law, of course, because the law condemns, the law accuses, the law of God is good. Without the law of God, um, we don't know that we are sinners, and therefore we don't know that we need the Lord and His forgiveness in Christ. And, um, we, you know, the law of God is a good thing, uh, especially you see in the Psalms, them praising Him. Psalm 119 is all about how good the law of the Lord is. But it's it's difficult, you know. Are are we going to hear the law of the Lord like a small child who plugs his ears, you know, when the pastor says uh, something from the passage this week that condemns us in our sin and hopefully drives us to the gospel? Or are we gonna, um, you know, are we gonna plug our ears to that? Or are we gonna take it uh, and say this is something I need to hear and something that's good? And it, it makes me think of Luther's explanation of the third commandment in a lot of ways where he calls us, we are not to despise God's words, the preaching or teaching of it, but gladly hear and learn it. And this is a very straightforward violation of that, that third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, remember the word of the Lord that comes to you. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of Christians struggle, uh, sometimes myself included, with uh, there are parts of God's word that are easy to hear, uh, and there are parts of God's word that are not so easy to hear. And we, in our pride, have a lot of pushback sometimes. Where uh, even in the moment, sometimes I think we I, we know I know this is a good thing. I know this is something I need to hear, but I don't want to. I just don't want to hear it right now. Um, and that's it's it's hard to receive that because we're sinners and we have the, the the sinful nature is that inclination to push back against what is good and right and salutary. Um, that's all we're able to do. But the the grace here is that God he again like that that great phrase even though it's the law that Jeremiah is accusing them with, he still has this gracious phrase, God persistently sends prophet after prophet to these people. And it's no different with us where um, I I don't know how long, you know, the pastoral vacancies tend to be, but there's prophet after prophet the Lord sends to uh, give you his law and gospel, to give you his gifts and, and word and sacrament. And um, it's, it's easier said than done, of course, but, the, the law of God is good in spite of what we see here from these just stubborn people of Judah, where the law of God prepares us to receive his gospel. Um, and it's, again, getting back to that balance of law and gospel, especially the Walther emphasizes where you have to have a proper distinction between the two. If you, you have one without the other, uh, each loses its potency, its, its purpose. And I think here we see the people of Judah just want the gospel. They don't want the law, um, which, of course, strips the gospel of all its power because you don't know why you need God's grace. Um, I, I see that happening here in verse 16 especially. Well, and I, I think, you know, I, I, in terms of the, the law gospel dynamic, it, it seems that they want, and not only maybe do they want just the gospel without the law, but even that they want on their own terms. They they want the good news mm-hmm. to be on their own terms, which when we try to make it on our own terms, we end up taking the good news away from it. So what, what strikes me about that phrase, you know, as for the word that you've spoken to us in the Lord's name, we're not going to listen. That's precisely the opposite of what they told Jeremiah back in chapter 42 before they ever left for Egypt. They, they asked him, yeah. you know, we don't know what to do. 
So you go to the Lord and, and you tell us what he wants us to do and whatever it is, we'll do it. And, and now all of a sudden they're saying, nope, we're not going to listen to this word, which is, it's precisely the opposite. And, and it strikes me too, you know, in the very next verse, verse 17, where they say, we'll do everything we vowed. Well, except that one thing where you promised to do whatever the Lord said, <laughs> you're not doing that. And, and it, it's like they want the gospel on their own terms. They would have been happy, it seems, to listen to the Lord had the Lord already agreed with what they thought. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's where, I mean, I think that's probably the, the great danger for any person, for us still today. It's, it's where the Lord's word comes and, and doesn't agree with our prior thinking. You know, the, a text like this, and really this whole section, forces us into, you know, well, am I willing to lay aside what I think and submit to what the Lord says, or would I, like Judah it, it, here in Egypt, would I just simply go with whatever I already think, and when the Lord says it, I'm just going to say, nope, I'm not going to listen in this, you know, outright rebellion. And again, it's one of those places, kind of like we were talking earlier, it's easy for us to say, well, I, I wouldn't do that. But in reality, I, I think we I think we probably would because there's plenty of places where the Lord says something and it's like I don't I don't agree with that. You can you can kind of keep that over there, God, and I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really challenges a lot of our simple presuppositions where you go into a particular situation and you think you know God's law and then it. Um, it accuses you of something where uh, I didn't think I was doing that wrong. I didn't, you know, it's a blind spot. Maybe you might call it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that this is a blind spot for Judah. Cause it'd been like you said, in first two, it's been laid bare. You've seen the Kings, it, just the immediate context, but um, yeah, I, I'm thankful for people who not in the moment, usually right. for, for, but for people who, who point out, um, this is something you've been doing a lot of and it's concerning. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, I had no idea. Uh, right. or if a you know, pastor's preaching and I'm convicted by the law, um, my, my sinful nature says, um, all right, tune out the rest of the sermon. But, um, thankfully the Holy spirit overcomes that sinful nature and keeps my ears open long enough to hear the gospel. Right. Right. Actually, well, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, it keeps the ears open. Yeah. To, to hear that correction, that rebuke from the law as it's intended so that there can be repentance. Mm-hmm. And then with the gospel, that faith that God is ultimately working to give, which that's what he's trying to do here, even though it's being rejected. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Jeremiah 44 and 45 with Pastor Joel Heckman. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, July 29th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 1 through 45, verse 5 with Pastor Joel Heckman of St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. 
Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we were talking about the response of the people there in Egypt to Jeremiah's preaching against their idolatry. They are completely stubborn. They've got no use for this word that Jeremiah is speaking. And, and their reasoning, you, you hinted at this earlier, their reasoning for sticking with their idolatry is basically, well, when we were practicing idolatry, it worked. And then when we worshiped the Lord, it didn't work. And so we're just going to stick with idolatry. Yeah, and if you go into verses 17 and 18, we see uh, just kind of the outpouring or maybe the outgrowth of what this attitude leads to, where you see first they say, we're not going to listen to your word. Then they say, we're going to do everything that we've vowed to do, and they're going to pour out drink offerings, and they're going to do it to someone called the Queen of heaven, which, by the way, is the um, the Babylonian goddess of fertility, Ishtar, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, for those of you who are wondering. Um, but the if you look at getting into verses 17 and 18, we start seeing a little bit of something I kind of called or at least thought of it this way as pragmatic theology or maybe utilitarian, like useful theology, where it's, it's an approach to religion that says if it works do it or if it works for a lot of people do it if it makes you happy do it if it gets you the results you want do it and it ignores what it's sacrificing and so uh you know you think of it like uh you know I, i think of growing up when i cleaned my room i had kind of a utilitarian pragmatic approach where mom tells you to clean your room and all i would do a lot of the times is shovel the stuff in my closet right? That was a very pragmatic approach. It kind of worked, but it didn't actually get the room clean. Um, and in chapter 44, the basic premise is we give sacrifices to this queen of heaven. Things go well. We're not missing anything. But when we quit doing that, things go downhill. And there's a couple, there's a couple different dangers they're running here, if you think about it. First, it says, we're looking to someone or something other than God for our daily bread. So it's a violation of uh, the first commandment in a lot of ways. And it's also saying we are going to practice our faith in the Lord based on results rather than remaining faithful to God's word. Um, so it almost equates success with faithfulness rather than following God's word. And it's really just, I think it's a crisis of trust in the efficacy of the word of the Lord and its promises. So uh, we see this happening all kinds, all kinds of ways in our world. It's, it's not just something that Judah suffered from. It's a crisis we have where you have particular decisions that come in, you know, in, in pass through your life and you have to think a particular way about them. How do I choose how to live my life? And, the constant temptation from Satan is, again, to do what works, uh, to do what's pragmatic, to do what's sensible, quote-unquote, within the bounds of human reason, uh, which does have a place in, in good Christian faith. It's not that human reason needs to be shunned out altogether, but it has to be, we'd say, um, servant to the Word of God. It's uh, We call it a ministerial use of human reason. And instead of a magisterial. Ministerial is where reason serves scripture. Magisterial is where scripture serves reason. And this is, I think, a little bit of what's happening here. And again, it's just a basic failure to trust that if we follow the word of the Lord, which is coming through Jeremiah, it might not look uh, practical. It might not look like it's quote unquote working, but it's what we need to do. 
And that's part of the trust is when you follow the word of God, the results aren't always going to be pleasant or happy. Uh, that's the one of the huge idols in our culture is do what makes you happy. Happiness is it's, it's like a sacrament for our culture. It's elevated to such heights that how dare you violate someone's happiness. Um, and thankfully, Jeremiah didn't have this fear. He said, I can see that this is making you happy, but it's not right. And I, he's not intentionally trying to rile them up or anger them, but he's saying you're, you're offering these burnt, burnt offerings and these drink offerings and all this, and it might look like it's working, but it's really destroying your relationship with the Lord. It's destroying your trust in him. And it's ultimately bringing this judgment that you see. Um, and I think what's, you know, what's the antidote to this is just simple trust in the promises of the Lord and his word. Um, he promises that those who fear him lack no good thing, which the fear of God is really um, saying, I, I trust that God's promise is true. Uh, I am. I revere the Lord. I, I fear His judgment to be certain. Obviously, that's a thing to be feared. But I trust Him in spite of that because He's a merciful God, and He doesn't break His promises. And that's the that's that's really the heart of it. Is when we trust in the Lord's word, the results, uh, the success that we want to see. Just it, honestly, it isn't always there. And even even the fruits of it, you don't even sometimes see in your lifetime. Uh, you're kind of thinking about prayer, uh, we, uh, or, or just following the word of God faithfully. You lose a lot sometimes doing that, but ultimately, God is preserving your faith. He is preserving the inheritance of eternal life through that. He's preserving what is most important. So again, another very much another easier said than done thing. And oh, look at them how unfaithful they were. But it's a constant, constant temptation to do what's easy rather than do what's faithful. Um, and again, the antidote is trust that what God says he will do, he is going to do. Uh, what he says, uh, what he's already done is, is true and, and for you, um, not just for other people. Uh, right. And, and trust in the face of whatever it is that you see, that regardless of whatever mm-hmm. you see, that God's word is true. So what what did they see? I mean, they, they saw, and it's almost like they're doing a little bit of history themselves here. If you, you think back to the reign of Manasseh, who's prior to anything that Jeremiah, you know, he, his ministry starts after Manasseh, but Manasseh had a very long reign and, and at least politically speaking was pretty prosperous, but he was one of the mm-hmm. most wicked Kings in the history of Judah, probably the most wicked. And, and they're saying yep. to Jeremiah here, well, look, we, we were doing fine under Manasseh and the idolatry reigned here. And it's when Josiah and, and you, Jeremiah, when you guys showed up and tried to do these reforms, that's when things went south, and and now we're going to go back to the way things were under Manasseh, and and it's like they're they're looking at history and their own situation just from a completely different viewpoint than Jeremiah's got. Jeremiah's looking at it through the lens of God's word, and as you said, and I think the the way you said it about in particular their happiness, and that's so applicable for us today. That's the lens that they're looking at, and and that leads to the action that they take. This continued idolatry. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really stands out within this answer that's given by the people to Jeremiah is the matter of the the relationship between husbands and wives. They're both involved in this false religion, these sacrifices to the queen of heaven. But the women in particular make the point to Jeremiah. It's almost like they get this last word in. Hey, look, what we did, we did it with our husband's knowledge anyway. So what's your problem, Jeremiah? What do we, what do we, what can we take from this and the way that the, the husbands and wives and they're interacting in, within this idolatry in, in Jeremiah 44. 
Mm-hmm. If you go back all you know all the way back to Genesis, when we see the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, a striking context to that is where is Adam when Eve is tempted? He's nowhere near her. Um, he he was created man was created to be um, uh, the leader, uh, especially in their families, especially matters of faith. Eve is Adam's helpmeet. Adam is the leader. Spiritually, this is reiterated by Paul. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, especially, uh, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man, man the head of woman. Uh, in particular, husbands uh, have that I, that role of headship over wives. And again, this is something people don't get straight a lot of the time. They think uh, submission and headship have to do with concepts of inferiority um, and subjugation of women. But really what it what it means in that context, in the context of scripture, that proper context is, you know, if, if this is inferiority, then it's saying Christ is inferior to the Father, which he's not. It's saying you have a place appointed to you by God to fulfill faithfully, uh, in spite of what the culture might make you think of that. And one of those roles is men are the spiritual leaders for their families. And so we see the fallout of when men neglect that, when men either avoid spiritual leadership in their family or actively encourage sin, uh, what happens here, the women start saying, well, we have this, we're looking to our husbands for approval from this and we're getting it. So what's the problem? Uh, so the the wives are certainly sinning by offering these, these sacrifices that they shouldn't have been offering. That's something that they are held to account for. But the husbands especially need to be held to account here too, because their role as spiritual leader was completely, um, you know, just washed aside. Uh, and for whatever reason, maybe they just weren't willing to. Maybe they actually thought this was the good thing to do. Going back to that pragmatic approach, but um, in Christ, we see two things. When we get to what's the proper ordering of creation, what's the proper role of men and women, especially in that marital relationship, we see Christ coming to us and, first of all, forgiving us for our sins and our maybe aligning too closely with the culture on the roles for men and women. But we also see um, Jesus Christ as uh, someone who restores men to their God-given roles as spiritual leaders with that forgiveness. Uh not only does he appoint men to be pastors and the spiritual leaders in the church, but also in the in the home. So what's what's the big takeaway for both men and women? Uh, this isn't just something that's isolated to men. It's it's very important for both. It's um, be the leaders that God has called you to lead uh, to be. And it doesn't mean things like this aren't ever going to happen, but, but pray with your family. Uh, read the scriptures with them. Read the catechism with them. Gather them together to go to the divine service every week to receive God's gifts. Um, uh, even, I don't, I don't know how much uh, credibility there is to this statement, but I've heard multiple times if, if fathers sing in church and their children see them doing that, that's a huge um, incentive for them to remain in the church long-term uh, because you, it, it kind of makes sense, especially seeing the way God has set things up. If men are to be the leaders, they're the ones that set the tone. It's not that women can't be. It's not that wives can't also be spiritual um, people who spiritually form their children and encourage and shape their husbands. But husbands set the tone. They're the leaders. They're the ones that uh, lead their family into these things. Um, And it's a difficult task, absolutely. But 
but here it's it's kind of twofold we see the the very severe <laughs> uh fallout of what happens when man neglects this but we also see in other places just the beauty and the the wonderful fruit that it bears when men take that role that god has given them um and fulfill it and and when they fail to when they repent of their sins god restoring them in christ um the the beauty of the gift when you see that I, that makes the picture here more tragic i mean and just i think mm-hmm. that that really just kind of helps tie this whole thing together that what we hear in this response is a, a complete disordering a complete rebellion against against the lord uh, chasing after idolatry instead of trusting the word of the lord they're choosing what seems happy what seems pragmatic and and jeremiah continues as a faithful preacher against this so he continues now in verse 20 of jeremiah 44 mm-hmm. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, as for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant, as it is this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offerings to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord lives. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who come to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. That's the rest of Jeremiah's preaching uh, through the end of chapter 44. Once again, Pastor Heckman, plenty that we can pick up, lots of, of very key turns of phrases, words from Jeremiah within this. I mean, it sounds to me, essentially, he's telling them, okay, you want to do that? Go ahead, go for it, but it's it's not going to turn out well for you. I mean, just think of what happened in Jerusalem. The same thing is going to happen. And by the way, here's the sign that, that it will happen. He even gives them that when it comes to this this Pharaoh. Uh, just some of the highlights from, from this section of Jeremiah's preaching. So, if you, I, I kind of paired this few verses with uh, 11 through 14, taking a couple images that give us hope even in the midst of this. So we see 
God telling, there's two images. First, God setting, he says, behold, I will set my face against you for harm. That's back in 44 verse 11, I believe, or somewhere in that range. Um, So you see the face being set against Judah. And this is, again, by God, perfectly just and right, because uh, he is warning them. He is sending prophet after prophet. And so he ends up turning his face against them. They say, no, thanks, God, we're not going to listen. And God follows through with his threat of punishment, uh, which reminds us the law is not empty. It's the threats of the law are real. They're meant to bring us to repentance. But sometimes, especially in the case of Judah here, that does not happen. Uh, and it led to their collapse. But um, the image that I connect with Christ is when we see years later, uh, not only did God once again turn his face toward Judah, bringing them back from exile. Um, We see Christ on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is God turning his face from the sun towards us in mercy, where our cry should have been, why have you forsaken me, God? You know, in the the depths of hell, uh, instead Christ takes our sin upon himself. Uh, He endured the hell of of being forsaken by the Father um, and he not only does that, but then he is risen to new life and gives us life in exchange. So an incredible image, even in the the heartbreak of this passage, where, again, 70 years after this, God brings his people back. He made good on that promise. But then even if you remember Old Testament reading in the lectionary from series B last week, it was about Jeremiah 23 and the righteous branch that God promised uh, the faithful shepherd. And he made good on that promise in Christ. Uh, the second image I get here is when we say God says, um, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day, that that phraseology of becoming a curse, uh, that brings up to my mind Galatians 3.13, which says Christ redeems us, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree uh, from Deuteronomy. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what do we, we deserve to be cursed and and condemned under the law, uh, to die not just temporarily, but eternally. We deserve, uh, I mean, not just the the earthly results of, you know, the devastation that Judah experienced, but we also deserve eternal damnation. Um, But then again, God did not leave Judah in their exile or the, or the other um, exiles, he brought them back graciously. And in the waters of holy baptism, what does the Lord do? He washes sin's curse away so that uh, we, we should have been cursed. We should have been condemned for eternity by the curse of sin. But God forgives sin and heals all of the things that our sin has broken. And in the resurrection, we'll see the Lord eliminate that uh, sin and death once and for all all because Christ became a curse for us. So again, two difficult images here in the judgment of Judah. And we of course need to take them to heart as the law is not an empty threat and there are consequences, but it also reminds us of two gracious images where Christ uh, became a curse um, under the law and overcame death for our sake in our place. Um, And that's one of the big things I take away from this here. 
I think putting those two things side by side really <coughs> highlights just how gracious God is with Christ. Certainly, you would say in Jeremiah's day that the Lord setting his face against his people was precisely what they deserved. They, they received the judgment that they had earned. But if this is the judgment that they had earned you know, in 587, 86 BC, how much more so had the people 586 years later, plus you know, what, about 600 years later, how much more judgment had they earned by rejecting the very Son of God and putting him on the cross? And yet at that mm-hmm. moment where they, that, they deserved all the judgment in the world to fall upon them and more so, what did God do? He put all that judgment on his Son there on the cross. I mean, it just, it really highlights the graciousness of God when he put his son on the cross. So yeah, I, I love mm-hmm. putting those two things side by side. I think that's, that's a great thing. We've got six minutes and we need to tackle chapter 45, <laughs> Pastor Heckman, which chapter mm-hmm. 45 is one of those where, as I was looking at this series, kind of like, well, there's five verses and they don't really seem to go with the rest of what we've been talking about. They do bring us back to a different historical context. In the first verse, we're going to find out this is now the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So we're talking 605, 604 BC. So we're we're rewinding. We're having a flashback here for a moment of oh, about 20 years prior. And we're going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about Baruch. So that's where we are historically in chapter 45. Again, Baruch's with Jeremiah there in Egypt when all this is happening. And now we're going to find out, well, well, what happened to him? We're going to find out by way of hearing what the Lord had said would be the case. So this is Jeremiah 45. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I am breaking down, and what I have planted I am plucking up, that is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. That's Jeremiah 45, verses 1 to 5. So, Pastor Heckman, with that brief note about Baruch, what should we pick up from those verses? Really, the biggest, I'd I'd say the biggest point here is that the Lord doesn't forget his faithful people. And we see Baruch really has, you might say, a front row seat to everything that's happening as Jeremiah's scribe. And he sees all these difficult things happening, and it's very understandable where you see he has, you add sorrow to my pain, I'm weary with groaning. Um, makes me think of Psalm 6-6, I'm weary with my moaning, every night I flood my bed with tears, I drench my couch with weeping. You see the same lament from Baruch here. But then go to Psalm 34, verse 18, which says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And the Lord, it's a reminder that the Lord does not abandon his faithful people. The lie that Satan wishes to push upon us is that uh, God has abandoned us. This leads to despair, which is losing all hope. But God says here, when he uses that phrase, a prize of war in all the places to which you may go, it means I'm going to spare you no matter what happens. Um, you still have important, faithful work to do. And maybe just a two brief summary points here. It's a good thing to lament, just as Jeremiah and Baruch did. It's a, it's a good spiritual discipline, and it's 
Uh, it can alleviate a great deal of suffering, um, just telling God, I'm not doing okay. But it's also just a good reminder that God does not abandon people like Baruch, like you and me, who remain faithful to him. Even, I think uh, Pastor Wolf Miller described it as when you have this uh, practice of look aroundism, I think is what he called it. When you look around and you see everything's falling apart, you're tempted to, to panic or run away from the word of the Lord and his promises. But this is a, a good reminder God does not abandon his people. Mm-hmm. With just about two and a half minutes left, Pastor Heckman, final thoughts on this section from Jeremiah, particularly chapter 44 and, and how it is that we see Christ here. Well, if a, a nice little kind of tie-in to another portion of the book where God says, Behold, uh, this is verse 27, Behold, I am watching over them for disaster, not for good. That's the judgment against Judah. Contrast that with Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, I know the plans that I have for you, plans uh, to um, prosper you and not to harm you. So it's a really interesting, um, oh, what do they call it, uh, juxtaposition of those two verses where uh, we see God and on on the one hand, there's the law, you're being judged for your sin. On the one hand, there's the gospel, I will restore you. So in the context, Jeremiah 29, 11 is, of course, the restoration of the people of Israel and Judah back to their homeland eventually, where God would allow them to build the walls of the city back up in Jerusalem, the temple. But ultimately, it's a pointing forward to uh, God's plan of salvation in Christ where again, Jeremiah 23, the righteous branch, I'll bring forth a righteous branch from, you might say, the stump of Judah. Uh, and from that branch will grow the tree, you know, the, the tree that gives life to all people. Uh, there's a hymn, I can't remember what number it is, but it's called the Tree of Life. If you have a chance for, for our listeners, I definitely recommend looking it up. It's takes that imagery, Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree and sinned as we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but then God raised Christ on on a tree, and from that tree comes the fruit of life now and forgiveness. So um, we are, God punished Judah for their sin, but then restored them to new life, and as Christians, we drown daily to sin and die, and, and, and rise to new life in our baptisms, and it's a, just that constant cycle of repentance forgiveness that God brings us through until, uh, of course, he comes back to um, bring us to be with him for eternity. But uh, we're not so different from Judah. Um, We are sinners, but we are also loved by God and restored by his grace. Pastor Joel Heckman is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma, helping us today with Jeremiah 44, verse 1 through chapter 45, verse 5. Pastor Heckman, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Tim. It's my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on this series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app. The open mic feature there allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.